following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 26. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 dinars given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord. 
Amen. Thank you, Daniel. Man, we serve a mighty God. Amen. We serve a God that meets with his people. We serve a God that is with us this morning. We serve a God that is ready to show up to his people this morning, to bring transformation, to bring life, to bring healing where there's hurt, to bring life where there's death, to bring transformation where there is crookedness, to bring hope where there's hopelessness. We serve a God that is too great to contain in this room, <laughs> too great to contain in one heart. We serve a God that is indescribable and yet reveals himself. So with that in mind, may we go to his word and him to show us the face of Jesus this morning. Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit, would you open our hearts? Would you show us your glory this morning? Oh God, would you go in the most skeptical heart in this room, the most hardened heart, the most resistant heart, and would you break it wide open by showing your power and glory, your love that can break through the hardest concrete. Oh God, your hope that can wake up the most complacent heart and mind in this room. Oh, Father, we pray that you would show us your glory, that we might see that, that we've been thinking way too small, that our little attempts to control our lives need to be thrown out, and we need to fall into the one who is power, the one who is resurrection, the one who is life. Oh God, we need you to come this morning and reveal yourself through the power of your word and the person of your spirit, making our minds think new thoughts, moving us to do things we never thought we would do, giving up things we never thought we'd give up, saying things we never thought we would say, maybe even dancing in worship, never thinking we could possibly do that that we could never be that overwhelmed with your goodness, never be that overwhelmed with your truth and who you are. Oh, God, show us your glory this morning. Father, we have addictions. We have living death in this room. Father, if we could combine the thoughts of our hearts and our deepest skepticism, even this week, we would be downtrodden. But God, lift our heads this morning. Reorient the hearts of your people with the glory of Jesus. Oh, Father, do it. We can't do it for ourselves. We need you. We beg you, oh God. Show up. And Lord, we lift this to you. In the mighty and good name of Jesus, and God's people said, Amen. I'm on a text stream uh, this week, or I'm on a text stream with a bunch of my fraternity brothers from the University of Arkansas. Whoop, whoop. 
Uh, Fidel, there we go. We got some Arkansas people in here. Being real quiet. And um, for my pledge class, 1983, Fidel to Theta. And a couple weeks ago, they sent out, somebody on the tech stream congratulated one of our pledge brothers because he made the cover of the Phi Delta Theta National Magazine. I didn't even know that existed. And to be honest with you, because I was only a Phi Delta, active Phi Delta for one semester, long story. Um, but I, I didn't remember this guy's name, so I Googled him, and the first thing to pop up was his net worth. Dude is worth four to $500 million. And I want you to know it messed with me. <laughs> I began to think about him, a guy that I stood next to cleaning bathrooms. I stood in the pledge line getting yelled at till 2 in the morning, back when they still hazed uh, in the, the early 80s. Being humiliated, and now this guy is worth half a billion dollars. And the more I thought about it, the smaller I felt, the, the, the great thought that as I started building him up, I started feeling really bad about me. As I started thinking about his accomplishments in the world, I started thinking about, man, I've done nothing. I am so nothing. And then the gospel came in, and I began to rebuild. But then, lo and behold, the magazine came to mailbox. I don't know how. I haven't. I've never received this ma magazine before. And there he is again. And right back to feeling bad about myself and all the things. This passage this morning is about getting small in the presence of a glory that's worth getting small for. This passage shows us all the tiny glories like this guy's. This, guy sh this passage shows us a glory that takes $500 million and makes it insignificant. This passage builds up one who is life, who is hope. This passage tells us how the Christian life works. It shows us that, yes, we are to give up. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces life. It produces many seeds. And we say, oh, yeah, right, I'm not, I'll die a little bit. No, this shows us how. And the way is for Jesus to grow bigger in our hearts than anything else. That's his rightful place. The main idea is Jesus is worth giving anything I possess. And when you see his glory, you will be compelled to do just that. I'm here to tell you this morning, if you see the glory of Christ, you nothing but give everything. And you see, how long has it been that you've seen the glory of Christ? And to get into this, we have to work backwards. I've decided to go to the end of our text, verse 226, work backwards. And the first thing that we need to see is this whole call that, that the life that King Jesus gives comes through death. But we need to understand how that works, because if everybody leaves this morning and says, I just got to die, I just got to die, you've missed it. No, you've got to see the glory, and then you can't help but die. I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago. I went um, to Colorado, and you say, here he goes again, talking about Colorado. Well, we had business meetings in Colorado, 
And so I went a couple days early, and I went up to one of my favorite rivers about an hour, hour and a half outside of Denver called the North Platte. And I love it for a big reason because you park in this little parking lot, and then you have to hike a mile back. And then all of a sudden you're hiking, you're hiking, you got all your stuff, you know, you're in these heavy boots and, you, you know, you're sweating. And then all of a sudden you come at the top of the river, you're on this ridge looking down. And here's a picture, ah, horrible picture, but hey, I was up there, the truck comes in at the top and it's just breathtaking. And, and it happens every single time I just stand there and I lose myself in the midst of the glory of this beauty. And that's the power of glory. It's healing to us, and then it's, it, it, it takes us, in the sense that it takes us from self-consumption to something bigger, better, more glorious, and beautiful than us, and therefore we begin to relate properly to ourselves and to the world around us. That's the power of seeing the glory of God. Our problem is that we live thinking about us apart from the largest glory who is God. We don't orient ourselves to God constantly. It happens maybe in this room sometimes, but this is how we are to live. Because when we, when we see God, we find ourselves. When we see God, our, our, our problems grow uh, proportionally to His glory. When we don't see God, our problems, our circumstances, and even our thoughts about ourselves grow disproportionately. We get big, God gets small. We have to see the glory of God. And this is what Jesus saves us from. He saves us from seeking glory apart from His glory. Verse 24 through 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat grain, um, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In other words, you begin thinking less and less about you and more and more about God and others, you begin to find life. Whoever loves his life, it means whoever's controlling, whoever's holding on to it, I can't lose it, I can't lose it, this is all there is. Whoever, loses it, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is not giving us a demand, he is giving us a law of nature. The more you think about you and your glory, the more miserable you will be. The, the smaller God becomes in your life, the more miserable you will be. We were created to live in the awe of God and His glory. And we only find our true self only when we find God. But our true self, when God, you cannot be right apart from God as we try. We try to get God to make us feel good about us because of us. We aren't going to feel good about us that we're supposed to until we feel really good about God. Because His, His glory brings our glory into perspective. And His glory is His cross. His greatest glory is that He laid it all down for you and me. He lived Unless a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seed. We are living the reality of the power of that this morning. We wouldn't be here if Jesus hadn't lived, died, rose again, 
ascended, and if we didn't believe he's coming back one day, someday. Jesus didn't just teach death, he demonstrated death. He was not consumed with himself, but with God. And this is, this is so amazing. If you think about the Trinity, the, the essence of the Trinity is otherness. The Father loving the Son, the Son loving the, um, the Spirit, the Spirit loving the Father, them working as one, three in one. It's all about otherness. This is the essence of who God is. And this is the essence of Jesus, is I came to give my life. John 6, 38, down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Dear friends, if Jesus, if his life was to do the will of the Father, don't you think that maybe there's some real truth to that? That maybe is what we must try to get it in our life, where we are living for the will of the Father and not the will of Richard Reeves, not the will of those around us. Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served. What? To serve and give his life a ransom for many. Well, maybe, just maybe, there's some universal reality there that I need to get in my head and my whole life needs to be driven by. We can't, we can't separate verses 20, 26 with chapter 11, verse 25. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and then he calls us to death, and then he dies, maybe there's a real connection here. That the way we can experience resurrection is to experience salvation that frees us from thinking about us to thinking about God and others. That releases us from prison of ourselves and, and drives us deep into reality of who God is and, 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 and laying our lives down for others. That's what Paul is getting at in Galatians 5. When he said, it is freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. But then he said, but do not use your freedom to indulge flesh. In other words, don't, you can't. You're free, but what are you free to do? Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Why? Because that's what you've been free to do. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the glory of Jesus. He frees you from the prison that you and I experience daily because we think way too much about us. And he frees us to think about his glory, to become so consumed with him that we start loving our neighbor. Friends, thinking about ourselves doesn't just kill us, it also kills our neighbor. If I'm thinking about me, my wife's not having a good day. If I'm thinking about me, my children aren't having a good day. If I'm thinking about me, my neighbor's not having a good day. If my whole life is about me, then my city is suffering. But oh my God, if I'm thinking about the glory of God, and I'm remembering that He leveraged all He is and all He has for my sake, that I might be free to walk in the same reality to leverage everything I am and, and everything I own for the good of my neighbor. When I say no, if I have a neighbor who's living in, if I have a neighbor who is impoverished, if I have a neighbor who is hungry, then I must do something about it. If I have a neighbor who can't read, then I must do something about it. And I want to do something about it. Why? Because Jesus didn't ignore my need. 
But his glory was, he said, Richard, the only way Richard has any hope is if I die, therefore I will die. Dear friends, it's one thing to be social justice and need. It's another thing to say, oh, you are the object of social justice. You, God made you the sinner. He lifted you out of death, poverty, sin, hopelessness that you might begin to lift others up too. Is that not glorious? That's how it changes your life. How can you hold a grudge? How can you let your eyes be low to the ground when you have a God who's done that for you? Look at His glory. Look at His glory. And this is a high calling. And yet Jesus is a king that you can trust. This whole, the whole reality of this triumphal entry. You know, remember we're working backwards. So we're called to death. But now we're at the triumphal entry. And he's, he's calling us to death. And yet, you know the people of God, they have experienced some really bad leaders. Herod was not a good dude. He was abusive. He was a dictator. He didn't care about his people. He used his people for himself. Remember Jesus called Matthew, who was the tax collector, and the way he made money was asking for more than what he was going to give to uh, Caesar or Herod so that he might pad his own pocket. That was the system. It was corrupt. There was systematic oppression of the people of God and everybody else. And therefore, you think we have a reason to be suspect of authority. Every generation has had a reason to be suspect of authority. And yet it exists. I read it this week that um, Mark Driscoll, the pastor of Mars Hill, just two years after, went to, he, he, he abused his authority. He was called on it. He was fired. The church folded one of the, I don't know, several, I don't know, 20, 30,000 members. It was huge in Seattle. And instead of repenting two years later, he started another church in Phoenix. And guess what's happening? Over 100 people have left claiming abuse of power. Fool me once, that's on you. Fool me twice, that's on me. And that's what's happening. I read one person said, I had such a good experience with church growing up, I just thought I would not assume the reports to be true and thought I would just come see for myself. Abuse of power, it does horrible, horrible damage. Few, if any of us, had come away without wounds from someone in authority. Could be parents. Could be pastors. Could be elders. Could be bosses. Could be politicians. And yet we all continue to live under authority, and we don't really think about it that much until we have to. And, and see, we really were created to be under authority. We, we, we hold, do a whole series on politics and authority and government and all of that, but what you see is that Jesus, you know, submitted to authority. He called his people, us, to submit to authority. Why is that? Because we were created to live under authority, but at the end of the day, we were created to live under the authority of King Jesus. 
that in essence, the Bible from beginning to end holds the promise of a good king who will conquer evil and rule and will flourish. And in his kingdom, there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. There will be no more poverty or nakedness. There will be no more backbiting. There will be no more abuse of power. There will be peace. There will be justice. There will be flourishing for us all. Because King Jesus is on the throne. And he is the best king. Yet this is the kind of king Jesus is. His glory is not a gold-covered chariot. His glory is a young donkey. My, my, my. We don't understand how ridiculous, how absurd that is. The king of glory riding into Jerusalem on a baby donkey. It, it's hilarious. It is satire. It is, it's absurd. And yet, Jesus is not about getting glory for himself. He's about laying his glory down, and that is his glory. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He was saying, here it comes, y'all. Watch it. Here it comes. The hour's coming for the Son of Man to be glorified. You just wait. You hold on to your seats, because you're going to be blown away. Because this king is not coming in to use his people, but die for his people. This king is coming in to go to the tomb and be raised from the tomb. This king is, to, is coming in not to think about himself, but others. You see, Jesus spoke truth to power, but not before speaking truth to his own power. <laughs> he said, no, 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 no. Oh, I have the authority. Let's not, hey, remember what he told you, know, Peter like takes the sword out. He's willing. He said, whoa, back off, man. What are you doing? He said, I got authority. I mean, I could bring a legion of angels. I mean, it's not about ability. It's about truth and love and what's right and the nature of my kingdom rule. Jesus spoke truth to power, not for speaking truth to his own power. He leveraged his power for the good of others. He did not leverage others to increase his own power. That was the difference. That's the kind of king that Jesus is. Dear friends, you can trust this king. You can trust this Jesus. Then thirdly and finally, when you see the glory of King Jesus, you will worship him supremely. This is what Mary's doing. We, we get back up to the top of the, of the passage, and we see Mary just... She's lost her mind. She's lost her mind. She, she's forgotten who she is. I mean, <laughs> she has gone into the dinner, and she took her hair down, and you only do that for your husband. Privately, behind closed doors. And yet, she's doing it in front of everybody, and she don't care. And she has expensive nard that is is worth like three years of wages three years now in that passage probably most of us can relate more to judas than <laughs> than to mary it's like whoa 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 Where, i mean we're getting a little fanatical here you're giving how much you're giving all, everything you're giving the family inheritance away 
You're giving it all. And Mary's not even thinking about it because she is captivated with glory. Why? I've walked with a lot of us in when we've lost loved ones and a lot of others through the years, and I've lost loved ones. And, and we've got to think, Mary lost her brother who was dead for four whole days. We were not built to experience death. We were built to experience life. We weren't built to experience the embodiment of a human being for decades, and then all of a sudden they're gone. Or we weren't built to experience the embodiment of a person for, for a few minutes, and then they're gone. We were not built for death. We, we won't know till glory the tragedy and the trauma that death inflicts upon us as human beings. It's unnatural to experience death. And that's why this in, in chapter 11 is so powerful. My good friend Kirk, pastor, church planner in um, Nashville, as we know, passed away this past February. And it was on the tail end of my mother dying in December, my stepfather dying in January, and then this was kind of the final blow for Richard. But before that, he was on a ventilator in ICU, and I drove to Nashville, but uh, because I had COVID within 12 or 14 days of, um, you know, him being in, in the hospital, I, they wouldn't let me go see him. So I called, you know, Deb, his wife. I said, can I call? She said, yeah, call. And she's in the room. And um, uh, Kirk's brother, Eddie, is in the room. And they take the, the iPhone, you know, and they put, put it on speakerphone. I said, can I pray for you? Oh, that'd be great. Put it on speakerphone. And friends, immediately I'm thinking about Jesus standing before the tomb of his good friend Lazarus. And I'm claiming it, man. I am saying, Lord Jesus, would you stand before this, the bed of Kirk Ackerson and say, Kirk, come out. I am begging God. We are begging God in agreement. What if Jesus actually did it? What if Kirk all of a sudden starts moving, like, get this out of my throat, get, take off, what in the world, man, stands up and says, let's go to dinner. Buddy, I would be in the car, I'd say, Rachel, we're going to Nashville. I mean, we would be crying and praising Jesus the entire way to Nashville, and we would have a celebration, and that's what's happening at this dinner. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are at this dinner. Martha, the women can't be at the table. That's a whole other story. Martha is serving. Lazarus is reclining. And, and Mary, who should be serving, has something different on her mind and heart. She comes in worshiping Jesus. She comes in lavishing him with everything. And this is the context of Mary's adoration. It's shocking, this worship of Jesus. And you say, well, Jesus hasn't raised my loved ones from the dead. I lost my job. Where's Jesus? 
I, I lost my loved one. Where's Jesus? I've been praying for healing. Where's Jesus? I, I, I've been begging God for my marriage. Where's Jesus? I've been begging God for a spouse. Where's Jesus? I've been begging God on behalf of my children. Where is Jesus? And you know why John gives us the signs in this gospel of, of, that he writes. It's so that we can see the future in the present. The, the glorious reality of Jesus standing before the tomb of Lazarus and calling him forward, it's not just an isolated incident. What we see from the miracles of Jesus is that the Bible writers want us to look at that and go, that's my future. That's my Jesus. Because one day, someday, he's going to stand before my tomb. One day, someday, he's going to stand before my urn or casket or whatever in the world I'm in, and he's going to say, Richard, come out, and I'm going to come out of the earth, and I'm going to walk, and I'm going to dance, and I'm going to worship King Jesus in person. Why? Because Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and, and the gospel of John, John records it so that we might have the signs and say, he is not just the resurrection and life, he is my resurrection and life. And I believe that one day, someday, this is my future. Jesus is not merely the resurrection. He is your resurrection if you would but believe. But, oh, dear friends, look at all the naysayers. You've got Judas Iscariot. Oh, it doesn't make sense. You, you don't have to be this lavish. Now you get, Give 10% of the perfume. Just give a little dabble, do you? No. <laughs> And that's what, that's what most Presbyterians would say. But Mary said, oh, you don't know my Lord. You obviously hadn't seen my Lord. You obviously haven't experienced my Lord. Because my Lord is worth more than three years of wages. My Lord is worth it all. He's worth it all. He's worth it all. When you see Jesus' glory, you will willingly, gladly give up and sacrifice everything. The beauty of this and the warning in this, the warning to this, I'll say it again. To the extent that you try to die for Jesus is the extent, apart from Jesus, is the extent to which you will never experience Jesus. Some of us in this room say, I have tried Christianity. No. No, you've tried religion. You've, you've bartered with God. You've said, I'm going to give this up, and then you've waited. Yep, life isn't turning out the way it should. And so, therefore, Christianity doesn't work. Christianity doesn't work until Jesus is your end goal. You have to be in it for Him. You have to be awed by His glory. You have to be taken back. Mary is not just even overwhelmed the fact He's raised her brother from the dead. She is overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus is the one that had been prophesied and that all Israel had been waiting on. Jesus is not just one who raises her brother. He's not just the answer to her immediate need, but Jesus is the answer to all her needs. 
That's the point of all I am statements. I am the bread of life. Is he your bread? I am living water. Is he your living water? I am the door. Have you come through him? I am the resurrection. Do you believe that one day, someday, he will raise you from the dead? Do you see he is all the I am statements for you? Have you experienced the reality of a God who knows you completely and is willing to give all of himself to and for you? Here is your I am. Will you look to him and live? Do you see his glory? This morning I saw the headlines. Here's the headlines, USA Today. A study says that as the earth warms, a California flood that would swamp Los Angeles, displace millions and cause historic damage gets more likely. Wow. And that's the headline pretty much every morning. Destruction, pain. But what we need to do is go to the real headline. And that is Jesus lived Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and he's coming back. And the reality is, no matter what happens to Los Angeles, no what hap whatever happens to Memphis, no matter what's going on, Jesus is king, he is our king, he's good, and he's coming to make all things new one day, someday. Do you believe that? Is Jesus your savior? Is Jesus your king? Is Jesus the, the adoration of your heart? Does Jesus possess your love? Does, does Jesus have, does he captivate, captivate your creativity and your mind? Is Jesus bigger than everything in your life this morning? Dear friends, come to Jesus. Replace him with whatever is holding that spot and come to Jesus. Give yourself to him. You say, I did that many years ago. Give yourself to him again today. Dear friends, whatever is holding you back, give yourself to Jesus because he is life. He is resurrection. Would you do it? I'm going to ask the elders to come and, and spouses and, and community group leaders as well to come and be on the side for those that want to uh, come and give their life to Jesus or just come and, and, and pray and offload the burdens of your heart. Would you do that as we... Um, Give our tithes and offerings to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come, don't leave this place today without giving yourself to Jesus or giving the problems of your life and your soul over to somebody else who can pray with and for you. Dear friends, give yourself to Jesus today. Lord Jesus, receive the honor from your people. Lord, captivate our minds with your glory. Do a mighty work in our hearts, O God. Reorient us that we indeed might want to give it all. Oh God, make yourself beautiful to our hearts. Do it in a we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.